know, welcome to Hope Church. Uh, Refuge is the student ministry of Hope Church. And here's what we believe at Hope is that uh, there's a lot of ways you can study the Bible. Well, one of the ways that we believe is very, 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 very valuable and awesome is by taking sections of the Bible, specifically books of the Bible, and studying through them verse by verse. If you go to our weekend service, which if you don't, you should, we are going verse by verse right now through the book of Colossians. We're in the second chapter right now. And so in Refuge, as you'll see on the screen, and you have some notes pages, we are starting to go through a book of the Bible many of you guys maybe have never heard of or never thought about called 2 Timothy. All right, we're going to get into a bunch of stuff tonight about who the author is, who is this Timothy guy. Maybe you thought Timothy wrote it. We're going to get to all that in just a few minutes. Timothy's right here, Tim Tanksley. But, uh, but here's, what, uh, here's what I want to ask first before we jump in. How many people have ever received a love note? Loud or you know, show your support, yeah? Some, some of the girls are like, yeah, I have, and some of the guys are like, yeah, whatever. Uh, we're not talking about dating again tonight, don't worry. I just thought I'd intro with somewhere we've been the last few weeks. Uh, how many people have ever, maybe you haven't received a love note. Maybe, how many people have ever received, like, one of those texts that maybe you Instagrammed, you know, and you took the screenshot and you just did the Instagram. I'm so blessed, or I love, you know, look at this text I got, and you want to share it with the world, and you Instagrammed it. Uh, or maybe it's a tweet, or maybe it was a love note. Or maybe you just got a really nice note from your mom, okay? That's all cool, too. Like, one of those really encouraging, you're doing great in your chemistry class. Keep it up. I, I don't know. For me, just to kind of, I don't even know if she's in the room tonight. But um, every, like, a few days a week, uh, my wife, because I bring an old school lunch pail to work. I'm pretty nerdy. I'll show up with my lunch pail. Uh, and in my lunch pail, the fact that I call it a lunch pail is a whole different story. But, uh, and in my lunch box... Uh, my wife will, like, write me an encouraging note. It'll say, like, you're the best daddy ever. And it's like, yeah, that's really cool. It makes me feel special. When I open up my lunch, and I'm about to devour a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But first, on a napkin, my wife says, hey, you're awesome. And so this is kind of what we're talking about tonight, okay? What we're about to jump into, maybe you didn't know this, but books of the Bible in the New Testament are primarily letters. Second Timothy is a letter that somebody wrote to a guy named Timothy. And so just like you might receive like that love note or that encouraging text or, you know, the lunch in, or the, the note in your lunch pail or whatever it is, it's a, it makes you go, man, I'm glad I received that. Second Timothy and First Timothy, for that matter, are books of the Bible that we started as letters. Somebody wrote them. We're going to get to all the author and all that in a minute. But somebody wrote them as an encouragement to say, hey, I know what you're going through and I want to write you an encouraging letter. That's what Second Timothy is. Uh, and so it's written by a guy named Paul. How many people have ever heard of Paul in the Bible? Okay, if you haven't, it's cool. But Paul is a guy that is a real big Bible character. This guy wrote like half the New Testament. We're going to get to a little bit more of his story uh, in a minute. But the good thing about this book that I love is that scholars who study the Bible and stuff say this about Second Timothy. That Second Timothy is actually the last letter that Paul wrote. And so what we know from his story and how he died is that Paul is writing this letter in a jail cell, okay? This is all set up because everything you're about to read over the next several weeks as we jump into 2 Timothy, you have to know is not some guy sitting in a mansion, you know, writing to his buddy about the good things that are happening in life. It's a guy sitting in his jail cell. And what we know is that really this is this guy's dying words. Scholars tell us that this is like Paul's last letter and Paul wrote Ephesians and Galatians and Colossians and 1st Timothy and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians he wrote all these letters when things were going a little better but here he is in a jail cell about ready to die and Paul pins this letter to Timothy 
So that's super important because I don't know if you've ever sat by somebody, you know, if you've ever been bedside next to somebody who's like passing away, you're pretty much hanging on every word. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you, but for me, my grandfather a couple years ago passed away. And I remember the last time I sat like next to him by his bed in the hospital. And like, if you respect that person, it's like a really big deal. Maybe some of you guys have experienced that with a grandfather or something, but every word my grandpa said, I was like hanging on it. That's kind of what this is. Timothy, who we're going to get to in a minute. Man, this guy is, is hanging on every word of this guy who is a huge influence in the Bible named Paul. So you say, why, why are we doing this? We just got out of a dating series. Why are we studying through this kind of obscure book in the Bible? Here's what we believe. is as we look at Paul's life, as we look at Timothy's life, at Hope, we believe as we study God's word, God's word is actually kind of like a mirror to us. That as we look into it, as we start opening up these passages of scripture and kind of seeing, okay, what does this mean? How how was he writing to Timothy? That we're going to really start to see ourselves in this passage, whether you're in seventh grade, you're in 12th grade. And we're really going to start to be challenged in our life. And we're going to kind of see our true self like we do in a mirror when we look at the Bible. We're just going to walk through each verse. And I just want God to challenge you how he's going to challenge you. I don't want to put a blank in what you think, how God's going to challenge you. But here's what I want to ask of you. Don't just check out. Don't be on your phone. Don't think, well, there's no blanks for me to fill out. What am I supposed to do this whole time? Scott's talking. What I want you to do is I want you to say, okay, God, what do you have to say to me in the next 20 minutes? Just like I and the leaders in the room are saying, okay, God, in the first few verses of First Timothy or 2 Timothy chapter 1, what do you have to say to us? Here's what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 1. I'm just going to read the first four verses. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. How many people are in an English class right now? English class people? English class? Okay, I hated English. I don't know about you. I loathed English. I just wasn't into it. What I liked is math. Are there any math lovers in the house? No? Okay, I seriously, here's why. Math or English is a little more obscure. There's a lot more to learn, at least in my opinion. And it's like, there's a lot more of like, you know, brain just craziness. Whereas math, as long as you can get some, you know, some basic things. You can just work through a problem. Math was my thing. English I hated, all right? But here's, here's what I remember about English that I really hated is when somebody first introduced me to a thesis statement. Does is, is everyone know what that is or is it just the high schoolers? When do you learn that, thesis statements? Does anybody know what that is? Okay, cool. Uh, okay, seventh grade. Okay, so everyone in the room, unless you're younger than seventh grade, should learn about thesis statements. Here's the deal. I'm just going to go ahead and say I was very confused about thesis statements. Very confused. I, I didn't understand them. Everyone just said, okay, there's this one sentence that's like more important than the other ones. It's like, well, why am I bothering writing any more than just that one sentence? It's like, well, then it wouldn't be a paper. It'd be a sentence. And I'm like, okay, well, what is it? And finally I had a teacher. I don't remember her name. I think it's like Mrs. Miss Miller or something like that. She told me this. She said, Scott, let me tell you how to, this is, this is about a thesis statement right here. The thesis statement is the statement that your entire 
paper is going to be based off of. Is that, is that the same as what you guys are learning? Okay, good, because it changed everything for me. I'm like, okay, I can kind of like, like English now, because now I know this one sentence at the end of my first paragraph, is that where it goes? Am I still, am I still, okay, awesome, I'm still like, kind of there. If one sentence at the end of your first paragraph, that is what your entire rest of your paper, the first few sentences, man, you're gripping them. You're trying to bring people in with your introduction. And then you're going to lay this thesis statement down that's just going to say, hey, this is what your entire paper is about, okay? And here's what I want to do. I want to look at this very first verse as kind of Paul's thesis statement. You're like, man, all he says is his name. Well, that's fine. We're going to kind of unpack it here in a minute. But Paul and his member, he's dying in a jail cell. This guy is not in like a penitentiary where he's getting three meals a day and he's getting like to play basketball and lift weights. No, this jail cell is he's chained to a wall or to another person. And he's just like, man, this is the last thing I want to tell Timothy. This guy that I've walked with, and we'll get to Timothy. But man, I am Paul the apostle of Christ. And this is my thesis statement. So that's what it says in the very beginning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. If you don't know about Paul, we're going to kind of give you an overview of this guy that's very influential in the Bible. It's a guy named Paul. He is a stud as far as spiritually goes. This guy kind of gives his his legacy or his pedigree in another book of the Bible called Philippians chapter 3. Paul basically lays out, here's everything you need to know about me. And here's what it equals. Really, really educated, really spiritual. He is, a, he grew up a Jewish person, all right? So he grew up in, he says he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. That's kind of Bible language. If you don't know what that means, he's basically saying, I was the religious of the religious. Man, I studied under a guy named Gamaliel. I don't know who that is for you. If that's Pastor Vance or whatever, for me, it's going to be like a guy like a guy named John Piper, okay? I studied under this like really spiritual, awesome guy. It's like Paul saying, I studied under him, right underneath him. I was learning from him. He was pouring into me of Jewish law. And here's what we know. Paul had degrees over degrees over degrees. Whatever that was in the ancient Jewish world, Paul was it. And he says that. He says, I I went through all the rites. I went through all the rituals. I was more passionate, more zealous than anyone around me. He's telling, he's telling this, this church in Philippi in this other letter, he says, hey, I was the religious of the religious. It's the guy who's writing this, this, uh, this letter to Timothy as he's dying. He says, I was everything a Jewish person dreamed to be in the, right, in the, in the realm of religion. And he tells a story about how in, in, in Acts chapter 9, if you, if you know Paul's story, he's on his way to persecute Christians. Because here, here's, here's the deal. If you ever wondered what was the difference between Jewish people and Christians, here's the deal. Jewish people, when we start opening up Genesis, Exodus, Samuel, all those books, they're like, yeah, amen, amen. Jewish people have some of the puzzle right. But when you say, hey, Jesus is the only way, they go, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe you've wondered that, man, Jewish people sometimes speak the same language as like Christians. Yeah, because they have part of the puzzle, but when you get to Jesus, they put the brakes on and they say, no, that was Paul. He was a Jew, he was a Jew of Jews. He loved God in that realm. He pursued God. And then when Jesus came on the scene and this whole group of people started following after Jesus, Paul said, I hate, I hate that whole new cult called Christianity. I hate all those people who are now following this guy who says he's the Messiah. And so Paul, a Jew of Jew, a Pharisee of Pharisees, makes it his life to persecute that church. And he's on his way to a place called Damascus to persecute Christians, to put them in jail, to kill them. And he's saying, I want to stop this thing called the way of following Jesus. 
And he's on his way to persecute Christians in Damascus. And he's riding with his whole entourage. And God stops him in his tracks, bursts through. If you don't know the story, Acts chapter 9. Write that down. The book of Acts chapter 9. It's incredible. And he knocks him off his horse. And God speaks from heaven and says, Saul, Saul, stop doing what you're doing. His name was changed to Paul when he became a Christian. So when you see Saul, that's Paul. He says, hey, stop what you're doing. You think you're all religious. You think you're all high and mighty, but you're going to persecute my people. Stop it. And in turn, you're persecuting me. And so Paul in Philippians 3, when he's kind of laying this whole thing out, man, I was a Jew of Jews, Pharisee of Pharisees. I got more degrees on the wall than you could ever know about. And then God knocked me off my horse and he changed my life. And he says this in Philippians chapter 2. He says, no matter what I could say that I gained in the religious realm, no matter what I could say I gained as far as, you know, status and whatever in the religious pharisaical way, I count that as nothing. Or as the Bible says, I count that as garbage or rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ. This is important because this is the guy that's writing this. So when it says Paul the apostle, maybe you just kind of breeze through that. Who's Paul? Paul is a guy who, when it comes to religion, had all the T's crossed and the, and the I's dotted. And he said, I count all that as nothing in comparison to knowing Christ. As you study this, here's what I believe he's talking about at the end of that first verse when he says, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Here's why it's his thesis statement. It's his thesis statement because he's saying, hey, I'm not writing you to make you go and make sure you get all your accolades and all your degrees and all your things. Here's why I'm writing you, Timothy. In my dying words, I'm writing you to tell you that there is a promise, and that promise is found in Jesus and a relationship with him and life in him. Before I start jumping into a whole bunch of cool things that we're going to talk about here in the next few weeks, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the promise of life in Jesus. Timothy, I've written you a letter before, but here's what you got to know about me. Here's my thesis. I'm about to die. I'm in a jail cell. You need to know there is a promise of life, and it's only found in Christ. And I am an apostle of that Jesus. I am an ambassador of that Jesus, and that's who's writing this letter. I love what he says there too when he says, by the will of God. Maybe you hear and heard in church a lot about the will of God. Here's kind of what I want to challenge you with is, is, is Paul is saying by the will of God. And that's kind of a weird place to say that because the will of God for that moment was Paul in prison, chained to another person, you know, hungry, starving, probably beat up a lot. He's saying, I'm writing this to you by the will of God. And again, I think in, in this first verse, he's kind of alluding to his crazy story. Because see, even when Paul was persecuting Christians, even when he was anti this whole Jesus movement, even when he was in his religion thinking he had all the stuff together, God had a will for him. Here's what I want us to all know tonight. No matter where you are when it comes to Jesus, whether you believe in him, you follow him, or you don't care about him, I believe every person in this room has a will of God. That God has a will for you in your life. He's charted a course for you in your life. And here's what I don't want you to do. Some people freak out about that. And like every morning they wake up and go, oh my gosh, God's will. What am I going to do? Am I going to eat Fruit Loops or Cheerios? I don't know what to do. I want to know God's will for my life. Hey, don't go crazy because I've seen people who are really, really crazy about God's will. Like, man, is it God's will for me to like introduce myself to this person? Or is it God's will to introduce myself to this person? And they like really get all hung up on God's will. I don't want you to do that. But here's what I do want you to do. For the most part, a lot of us, especially teenagers, man, we don't really think about God's will at all. We're not like hyper into God's will. We're like, God has a will for me? 
this last Wednesday, we got a chance as a church to commission 62 people all over the planet to go tell people about this awesome, awesome news of Jesus. Some people, they're going to places that they have never heard the name of Jesus. Here's what I believe is if we really say, God, I want your will for my life. I believe in this room even, there may be some people that God's will for you is to one day maybe get married, maybe not, and go to the uttermost parts of the earth and tell people about this awesome Jesus. I believe that for people in this room. I believe that there are nurses and teachers and carpenters and whatever trade you're into, people that God has said, I want you to pursue your passion and pursue your skills and the things that, maybe that's an artist, maybe that's a dancer, maybe, I don't know what that is, but I want you to do that and I want you to do that knowing that I've given you a platform as a believer in Jesus and my will for you is to be the most passionate nurse, the most passionate teacher, the most passionate carpenter, whatever it might be for you. You can be all for the glory of Jesus. That might be God's will for you. Don't ever think, oh, man, I got to work at a church and if I want to be, like, spiritual and have God's will for me. No. You guys have an opportunity even right now to say, man, what is God's will for you? Don't hyper be sensitive and think, oh, my gosh, what's God's will? What's God's will? What's God's will? But it's good for us to ask the question, what is God's will for me? God, what, what's the, the path that you're charting out for me in my life? What, what college do you want me to go to? How, how do you want me to navigate through the next few years of my life to set me up to do what you want me to do with my life? That's kind of a side note here. As Paul says, hey, I'm in this prison writing to you by the will of God. It shows us this. God's got a will, and it's not just for super spiritual people like Paul. It's for every person in this room. God has a will for you. Second verse. That's Paul. He's an apostle. He's a Jew of Jews, and he was rescued, and he said, hey, I don't care about anything else right now except knowing Jesus. That's my thesis statement. That's who I am. I'm Paul. You can look at all my accolades, but none of that matters. Here's what I want you to tell you. There's a promise of life in Jesus. Second verse, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, to Timothy. Here's the deal with this guy, Timothy. We don't know a ton about him. Here's what we do know. We know that Timothy was a guy that walked with Paul. Timothy was a guy that was discipled by Paul. And we know that Paul planted a church in a city called Ephesus. And and by the way, maybe I'm just kind of breezing by some of this stuff. If you're like super into that kind of stuff and you want to know, man, where is that in the Bible? Talk to your small group leader. Talk to me. We'd love to show you. I'm showing you. It comes from the Bible and it really does. But maybe you want to know where and all that kind of stuff. We would love to show you because I know there's some people that are like love that kind of stuff. He planted a church in Ephesus, and we can tell you where that is. But he planted a church in Ephesus, and instead of staying there and being the pastor of that church, Paul put a guy named Timothy in charge of that church. So we don't know a ton about him. We know that he's a young guy. We know that he's married. And we know that he's a disciple of Paul. This guy walked with Paul, and now he's the pastor at a church in Ephesus. And here's why that's kind of a big deal is because it's not like he got up on Sundays in Ephesus and said, okay, everyone, open up your Bibles to Matthew. No, Paul is writing a letter to him right now that will eventually become a part of the Bible that we now say open up to. So Paul is writing a letter to encourage a guy that has really not a lot of encouragement. He doesn't have a word of God other than the Old Testament that he comes to and says, let's preach out of this. Let's, let's, man, I'm feeling really discouraged right now. I want to read the Gospels. He, he doesn't do that. All that is kind of being formed right now. So it's even a bigger deal that Paul is saying, hey, I want to write you a letter. Like we said earlier, Timothy is hanging on every word that Paul is writing. He says, Timothy, 
Again, we don't know a ton about him. We know he's a pastor in Ephesus, and life's probably super hard for him there. He's a, a disciple of Paul. He says, my beloved son. I don't know how long you've been going to church, but a lot of times you'll hear language like this, the, the, the body of Christ or the family of God. And maybe sometimes you're like, I don't really understand that. Well, we see that in scripture all over the place that God really, if we are believers in Jesus, which some of you in the room are tonight, has really knit us together and kind of called us a family. Because here's what we know. Timothy really wasn't Paul's son. Paul wasn't married. Paul didn't have kids. So he says, my beloved son, in like a, you know, a a metaphorical sense. Here's why that's super, super big for us tonight. Some of you guys in the room have awesome families. Really, really awesome families. My man, your family goes to church on Sunday mornings, and you guys go out to lunch and talk about the message, and then you come here, and, and your, your parents send you, and then afterwards you get in the car, and like, oh, how was Refuge? Tell me about it. I'm like, oh, it was cool. We sang this song. I really liked that. Or Scott said this out of the Bible, and I never read that in the Bible. That was pretty cool. And some of you guys have that, and here's what we want to say. That is so awesome. Don't take that for granted. Some of you guys have families that your mom and dad are super involved in your life and spiritually with Jesus, and they want to know about it. And here's what sometimes we do in those situations. We just breeze right past that. Oh, come on, mom. It was good. Church was fine. And you stop asking me questions. And we kind of breeze through your parents trying to pour into your life. Don't do that. Because there's others of you in the room tonight that don't have that. Nobody's asking you how church was when you come home. When I first started going to church, I was the only person in my family that ever went to church, man. It was like brand new to our whole, my, my whole family. And every Sunday when I would leave to go to church, I would get some snide remark or somebody would say something. And, and thankfully, my family is all Christian now. But when I first started going to church, man, they were not into it. Like they would think that I thought I was being better than them. And so, oh, you're going to go to church and we're not, we're not church people. So some of you guys live in that. Where When I came home from church, it doesn't matter how excited I was. I couldn't wait to tell people. My family wasn't saying, hey, how was church? How was the sermon? Tell me what you learned. And some of you guys tonight, that's you. And so it's awesome when we look at the Bible and we say, okay, to Timothy, my beloved son. That's why the family of God is really awesome and really big and really powerful for people like you. Because God has put people in this church, Hope Church, that can invest into your life and can, and can take you aside. And maybe they're not your biological mom or dad, but just like Paul wasn't Timothy's biological dad, he says, hey, you are my beloved son. I want to encourage you like a real son. I want to walk with you. I want to disciple you. There's people in this church right now, maybe in this room, some of your leaders, but definitely on the weekends, man, there's people that we're trying to get around us here at Refuge to say, hey, there's a lot of teenagers that need some love and and some discipleship and some care and some nurturing, and there's a lot of adults that want to do that. Maybe you've never heard the family of God language in the Bible, but here's what we see more than ever in in, in Timothy and Paul, is we see this model for discipleship, and that's really the first thing I really want to challenge us on. We're only going to talk about a couple things tonight. That's the first thing that I really want to challenge you on, is Timothy had a guy in his life pouring into him named Paul. Paul had a guy in his life that he was pouring into named Timothy, and every single person in this room, I believe if we're really walking into the relationship that God desires for us, we will have that. That you will be able to look ahead and say, okay, here's my Paul. Here's the person, whether it's my mom or my dad or my small group leader or somebody else on the weekends or Scott or whoever. This is the person that walks with me. This is the person that I've kind of given rights in a sense to say, hey, I want you to disciple me. Maybe you don't say those words, but you say, I want you to walk with me. 
I want you to pour into my life. Like Paul did to Timothy, I want that. I want you to ask me tough questions after, after the message, whether it's at Hope or at Refuge. I want you to, to walk with me, Paul, like figure in my life. So there's a blank on your notes there. And I don't want you to fill it out now. Maybe you did, that's cool. But every single one of us should be able to fill out that blank. And that's not just you teenagers. I'm talking every single person in this room should always have somebody who's a little further down the road from them to say, man, this is the person that's in my life asking me questions. This is the person that's really keeping me accountable for my relationship with God. If we can't fill out that blank, who is my Paul? I believe we're missing out on what God has for us. And again, that's not just students 7th through 12th grade. That's everybody. That's me. If I can't fill that out, I believe I'm missing out on God's best for me. A lot of times we like that. Man, I like people in my life pouring into me. That's cool, man. Teach me. Teach me, teach me. But here's what we don't think about a lot. As a seventh grader, as a senior, who is the person behind you? Who is the person? We got Paul, maybe, maybe you got Paul down. And there's somebody in my small group leader. They're texting me throughout the week, encouraging texts. They're asking me how my test went, asking me how that conversation with my mom went. But who is your Timothy? If you can't look ahead of you to your Paul and behind you to your Timothy, I believe we're missing God's best for us. And so for us, that's a little weird, right? Like, okay, what does that mean? Well, I believe that means some of you seniors, some of you high schoolers, there's junior hires in this room that would love for you to say, hey, want to go grab some lunch? Do you want to spend some time? I mean, maybe you don't remember when you were in junior high because I know we kind of try to block that out. Okay, most of us try to block that out in our lives. But could you imagine if, you know, because me growing up, not growing up in church, I was never shoulder to shoulder like some of you are right now with high school students. Like, that would have blow, blew my mind. Like, oh, my gosh, I'm sitting next to somebody who's a senior, and I'm in eighth grade. Or during this Connect Four time, I get to high-five a senior. Like, I'm dying. I might, might as well be Justin Bieber. Like, I, like, I love it. And a lot of us, and, and, hey, I did it too. I'm not harping, but here's the deal. A lot of us take that for granted. We think, oh, yeah, that's, yeah hi, junior hire. Cool, nice to see you. What if the high schoolers in this room started discipling and hanging out with and pouring their lives into the junior hires of this room? What if the junior hires, because you guys aren't off the hook, what if you said, hey, Scott, I want to serve and hope for kids, and I want to start discipling, and I want to start being a small group leader for the little kindergarten through fifth grade people of our church. And it doesn't stop after high school. Some of our leaders are young, on the younger side where they're in, in college, and they're pouring into high schoolers. When you get over there, we, we have people that are like, okay, I am older, I, I, I am more, I, I'm further on in life, I hang out with people right now that have kids older than me, older than my kids. Because I want to walk with the people that are, have been where I've been and, and done what I've done. Who is your Paul and who is your Timothy? If you cannot fill those blanks out, I believe you're missing God's best for you. It says mercy and peace, and we'll be done here in a minute. Mercy and peace, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Those are kind of church words that we just breeze by. And if you ever open up a book of the Bible, the first few words of the book are probably going to have something like that. Grace, mercy, peace. And sometimes we just blow right by those. But here's why it's encouraging. It's because in a really tough situation that Timothy was in, Paul says grace, mercy, and peace. The grace, mercy, and peace of God be with you. So I don't know what everyone in this room is walking in right now, but that same thing is true for you. 
No matter what is going on in your life, grace, mercy, and peace. God woke you up this morning. Whether you believe in him or not, okay, here's the deal. God opened your eyes, gave you a breath, gave your heart to beat, and said, hey, I want you to live another day, and that is grace. Grace, mercy, and peace. So here's what I want to tell whoever might want to hear it or need to hear it. The same God who hung the moon and and, and hung the stars, the same God who created Mount Everest, the same God who's sitting and inspiring Paul to write these words a couple thousand years ago, woke your butt up this morning, and here's what he's saying. Walk with me. Spend time with me. I made you. I give you breath. I give you life. And whether you believe that or not right now, grace, mercy, and peace in your life. As you're sitting there, here's what I want to ask you. Nobody talking, nobody looking around. If you had to fill that blank out, who is the person in your life who's pouring into you? Who is the person that when things go wrong, you call or you text or you say, hey, I need help. Here's what's awesome about that is there, you don't have to look very far. Right around this room and right in a few minutes, you're about to go to a group of somebody who's saying, just by being here, an adult is saying, I will be that for you. Maybe tonight you want to say, hey, can we get together every couple weeks and just talk about the Bible? I got a lot of questions. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe your next step is, um, I have never had a conversation about Jesus with anybody outside of church. Some of these leaders in this room would love to take you to a Starbucks and just ask how your relationship with God is. Who is your Timothy? Who is somebody, no matter where you are spiritually, because here's what we think. Man, I don't really know a lot about the Bible. I don't really know how I would walk with somebody. Here's what we think. I'm not really that spiritual, so I can't really pour into somebody. Hey, all you do is find somebody a couple steps back, and you can disciple them because they're not where you are. I don't care if you have a degree or you know a lot about the Bible or you still have questions yourself. There's somebody a couple steps behind you that is dying to spend some time with you and for you to teach them what you've been taught. Who is that for you? Is that somebody in this room? Is that somebody in Hope for Kids? Is that a little brother or sister? Maybe tonight, hearing about grace, mercy, peace, you don't have that. You've been hearing about God for the last 25, 30 minutes, and you go, I don't really, I'm disconnected from that God. Well, because of his grace and his mercy and his peace, God gives us a free gift. And he says, enter into a relationship with me. You couldn't before. You were stuck in your sin and you were, you were broken in your sin. But guess what? I made a way. Why? Because I'm gracious and I am a God of mercy and peace. And I invite you today, right now, not to say anything special or do anything religiously ritualistic. Jump into a relationship with that God. He's calling you right now. So maybe you have questions about that. We're going to be in the back. We're going to sing a couple more songs. But I just want us to, to worship tonight. And if you've got questions and you're, you're kind of wrestling with whether you're in a relationship with God or not, we would love to talk to you. We would love to pray with you. I would love to try to answer some questions. And so we got a girl leader back there. If you're a girl, I'm going to be back there if you're a guy. If you don't have a relationship with God tonight, you don't have to leave that way. You can leave 
experiencing the grace and the mercy and the peace of God.